0: I am delighted to be joined for the second episode of the Sido Means Business podcast series by entrepreneur and owner of Wilson's Country, Angus Wilson. Since starting the potato business from the Sixacre family farm in County Armagh in the 80s, Angus has developed the business through passion, innovation and clever marketing to become one of the market leaders within the potato processing industry in Ireland. He sells to retailers, food service, and food manufacturers with own label and branded pre-packed peeled and convenience potatoes. So sit back, relax, and find out about Angus Wilson's history of selling spuds. Angus, thanks very much for coming along today to Sido um, to take part in our uh, podcast series here. Now I just want to run through a few things with you and if you could tell me a wee bit about how the business got started. You founded Wilson's Farm in the 80s, is that right? Or was that from Uh, your parents?
1: Well, Wilson's Farm was, going back a few generations, I was, I actually don't need to go back into the family tree to see where I fitted into it, but I came home to the family farm in 1986. studied. Well, I was in Edinburgh and did agriculture, did the h and in agriculture. I'm not sure i studied too hard, but I was there and enjoyed life there and came back home to the farm in 86. And uh, back in those days, well, it's hard to imagine uh, how uh, business was so tough in those days in terms of interest rates. My dad had, had uh, broken out in 1979 and bought a farm. And, uh, but crazily, just around that time, interest rates went through the roof, and we ended up with having a debt on the farm at quarter percent interest rate. So, by the time I came home, that was 79, by the time I came home in 86, there was a fair bit of debt on the farm, and it was challenging, and we still ha- were suffering from that, that early fixed rate debt that we had. So my incentive to come home was to see what else I could do on the farm to boost the income and not for me to be a drain on it, but to to build it up. And uh, the first thing that I did was it was a dairy farm, uh, but I also had seen advert at, uh, an advert in the local paper for goat's milk. It was a local creamery looking for goat's milk okay. to, uh, to supply and I thought we could do this, we could use the goats to graze the same land as the cows and it would be something a wee bit different. Yeah. Did that for a while, uh, was supplying the creamery with frozen milk. We froze the milk at home and then delivered frozen milk to a, a cold store for the creamery to use. But then I also, also on a Monday and a Thursday started going around shops delivering my goat smoke around the shops and uh, that was going okay uh, but I was then looking for other things that I could sell. I got a wee reno extra van and I wanted to fill the van and there was a neighbour growing potatoes, growing them without fertilizer mm-hmm. and they were quite flowery potatoes and uh, people loved them. Uh, and I started uh, selling those as well loose uh, and there was a few shops took them on board and uh, that's where the business began all those years ago, selling those fertilizer free potatoes. The goats were go- gone after a couple of years and we focused on developing the potatoes.
0: So it was a neighbouring farm was growing the potatoes and then you sold them initially I, and then... I marketed them, marketed marketed
1: them for, for the, the neighbouring farm and then I went to one or two other farmers to get them to grow them in a similar way without fertiliser. Right. But the uh, slogan in those days was I called in Wilson's Country garden potatoes because they were grown as you would grow them in the garden and quite often farmers in those days were putting a lot of fertilizer on their crop to get a big yield but then they didn't have the quality whereas because you weren't forcing them with lots of fertilizer they didn't grow as fast and uh, they had a higher technical term is they had a higher dry matter there was less water in them but they just tasted lovely and flowery and fluffy Mm -hmm. so i had a story to tell about them because they were grown as you grow them in the garden they were grown fertilizer free but whenever people tasted them they did taste different and like they were called Wilson's Country Garden Potatoes taste the difference that was my slogan.
0: You were very ahead of your time in the 80s I mean now people are looking for products which are organic and you know use less fertilizers and all the rest of it so to do that in the 80s especially in a time when interest rates were so high you pivoted your business and changed and grew the business um, to try and um, get rid of any debt. Uh, that's really pertinent now with the way interest rates will inevitably continue to increase. Uh, uh,
1: ironically at the moment we're worried about interest rates going up by a half a percent. <laughs> to, to is it is it one and three quarters? quarters I think it is <laughs> now. So I mean, it does totally put it in different. context. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, there's other headwinds in the economy at the moment that that are uh, a lot to worry about as well.
0: Yeah, inflation and warming, yeah. cost of living crisis. Is. Um, so take me from there. You um were selling. How many different farms did you use to grow these?
1: Well, initially we had three local farms, really contacts that I had, uh, and they grew the potatoes. I, I kind of gave them advice on how to grow them in terms of fertilizer free and so on and how, how to do that. But then they grew them and then I marketed them. And uh, that happened over the first sort of three or four years of the business. As I get more customers, uh, then I needed more spots to supply them. and. Actually in those days I felt absolutely no right to be in the potato market so I was incredibly careful with my wee bag and my brand to try and do it really, really well so that people would get to know it and would associate the name uh, Wilson's Company with quality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And did you have a premises? Um, were you employing anybody directly at that point?
1: Probably in the later 80s. The premises was the family farm uh, and we built one or two extra sheds on the family farm and then eventually uh, we sold the dairy herd and concentrated on the potatoes on the farm. My dad was getting near retirement age at that stage and the farm became focused, not so much on growing the potatoes because our land wasn't particularly suited to growing potatoes but more for the packing and processing. Mm-hmm. We did that all on the family farm, and uh, the potatoes were grown. Some looked, some within a reasonably close, maybe five ten miles away, but then some went to County Down, okay. which again was getting into better soil types to grow a, a better crop there.
0: Great. And then, so you now employ, was it over 70 people in uh, the business? At the moment. At the
1: moment. Uh, we, we employ between part-time and full-time, nearly about 135. Oh
0: wow, so it's increased since yeah. right. And um, And you're based here in Craigavon, and uh, how many farms then would you use now uh, across Northern Ireland? We
1: have about 25 growers across Ireland, really, rather than um, just Northern Ireland. <laughs> uh, and with the regions the main regions would be uh, again county down still there up at Derry, Donegal, uh, Meath, uh, Wexford uh-huh. uh, down in that part of the world, Louth so we, we cover all of the island it tends to be more so uh, the east coast because the better soil types are on the east coast uh, albeit that uh, there's some great soils up in, in Donegal, Donegal as well uh-huh. and Derry but mainly the east coast.
0: And has the Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol had much of an impact on your business? Um, well, you I, export?
1: I would have to be honest I wasn't a fan of Brexit I thought uh, it was just we had a, a, a European economy that seemed to work pretty well together uh, but I have to accept uh, Brexit has happened and it hasn't the protocol isn't a big problem to us in terms of day-to-day trading. we're able to bring product in uh okay as when we need it where we can't get it locally but the, the big issue for us in terms of the protocol is we are not allowed to bring seed potatoes uh, in from scotland okay. and scotland has uh, just a geographical Uh, an environmental sort of uh, strength there that they can grow really good disease-free seed potatoes and the whole of Ireland has orientated towards Scotland for high quality seed so uh, that's damaging the industry and I really would like some sort of concessions that those seed potatoes could come from Scotland but that's not looking likely in the short term anyway but we'll see.
0: That's interesting. And um, how far do you um, export your your potatoes? Do you go into um, the UK, the rest of the UK, and
1: really across the British Isles, okay. uh, from Cork in one direction to London in another, and across the British Isles, the majority of what we do, maybe eighty five percent, is within the island of Ireland. But we do supply we supply uh, a lot of. Uh, one super, supermarket we have a convenience line of peeled potatoes and peeled chips just ready for going in the oven but with no oil or anything they're fresh prepared and they go across the british islands with one particular supermarket chain okay uh, but we also supply a big food service distributor in london right as well so yes we'll have a good coverage but we could we could do more in okay. yeah and we have no i mean the protocol isn't stopping us supply and TV, there's yeah. no issues in our product going out, it's product coming back, it can be an issue.
0: So you mentioned some of the the diversified products that you have there um, to meet the convenience market for example, right, so have you got any, um, so you have your potatoes, you have pre-prepared, is it chips, like ready to, go? any other type forms? Well,
1: of well, the, the, the business splits into four divisions actually. Now now on our journey from those early days we did do a lot of veg and we did a lot of fruit. Uh, We supplied a lot of uh, food companies with veg ingredients for their added meals Uh, and we did little fruit pots, retail fruit pots but over time we decided we would focus purely on potatoes and try and be the best on the island with potatoes rather than trying to do too many things and not do them well enough. Mm -hmm. So the business is now entirely uh focused on potatoes Uh, and our four divisions are pre-packed potatoes which is still the largest part of the business but uh, an increasing second division is our food service supply and we supply uh, peeled potatoes chip potatoes dice slice all sorts of potato products again to hotels restaurants schools uh prisons whatever uh-huh. uh so we do that across the island of ireland and some into gb okay. then the third division is uh, our convenience products they're little pouches with peeled potatoes we, we, we created a new brand called you say potato to Trying to be slightly quirky and slightly more modern. Yes. Uh, and these have little pouches with peeled potatoes or chips or skinny chips or or dice or slice in those, and they're really designed for one meal time. Right. And you can either put them into, for the chips, you can put them into an Actifry, and you can control. amount of oil if you buy a frozen bag of chips you can't control the amount of oil in them so for those that are worried about their their intake or fat intake or whatever they can just put a thimble of oil in along with their chips in an active fry and they've got fresh chips with that chip taste Mm -hmm. but without too much oil in them Ah, Uh, so they're really handy and uh, they're doing really well uh, across, across the British Isles.
0: And do you know what share of the market you have in Ireland per se?
1: I don't know that exactly. I, there's no specific figures uh, to uh, say exactly. We, we can guess at it, but mm-hmm. I mean. As a, well, sorry, maybe to finish off with the fourth division oh, yes. mm-hmm. uh, that we have which is relatively small but maybe grown is our blanch division where we uh, actually ha- have uh, our chips which we blanch off so we part cook them so they're really handy for the leg like, of a chip fan or a chip shop or whatever that you just need to, to fry them off for a last two or three minutes so it speeds them up Mm -hmm. in supplying their customers when they're ready especially the like of a chip van we don't have much space to maybe pale potatoes or to cook them off and hold them and so on so that that's our fourth division that was a business that we bought recently in North there was a girl uh, Rosemary McConnell had been running that business and she now, now works with us. Oh, great. So that's the four divisions uh, and uh, it works well. So you asked me another question. Yeah, just about know.
0: the market share. I mean, I know it's difficult to kind of. Well, like maybe of if I
1: put it in context, uh, our, within Northern Ireland, we probably would be the largest packer of, uh, largest processor of potatoes in Northern Ireland. Yeah the island of Ireland we'd probably be one of three but we'd be up there within those three in terms of looking at the British Isles as a whole uh, certainly from a pre packing point of view we're very small you mm-hmm. know we're mm-hmm. feeding what on the island here what are we sort of six million in total mm-hmm. and the British uh, Britain GB is uh, 65 60, ish, like that, yeah. somewhere in that region so there are some very big players there and we would they would packing a Friday afternoon at four o'clock to quit in time would be what, what we would do in a week so that we are small on that scale, which is one of our challenges too.
0: Yeah, but you still are exporting over to yeah, there, yeah. so that's fantastic mm-hmm. as well. Um so what do you would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned over your career in business? Running your own business?
1: Good question. I uh, well there's lots of answers to that, but there's a very old fashioned one that will have two eyes, two ears and one mouth. And uh, I often go back to that because you can, you need to be looking and listening all the time to what's going on in the marketplace and understand what's happening, how consumer trends are changing, what's happening out there in terms of the economy and just trying to adjust what you do to what's happening out there and to try and listen to all of your customers and understand where their hassles are, what is frustrating them, and try uh, as best you can to deliver that. So yes, probably looking and listening would be the advice that I would give to anybody. Uh, and you actually need to you need to be proactive about that. And yeah. one of the things that we have done in our business would be create focus groups, yeah. where we would go out and and try and be quite scientific about uh, speaking to groups about what frustrates them, what they like about their spuds and their uh, packaging and all of the offer to try and understand how we can improve and how we can ensure that in the battle uh, that there is with rice and pasta in, mm-hmm. the, in the carbs M- world that Sponsor is willing its fair share.
0: And it's difficult as a business owner to take criticism, but it's great that you're open to listen and to adapt and change because that's how you're going to survive, you know, ultimately. So that's a really good piece of advice, I yeah, think. Yeah, well,
1: if you put your head in the sand, uh, it's not good.
0: Which lots of businesses do, they get very precious, you know, about their, um, their product so um what is there like a common myth about your the food industry and you know potatoes in particular um that kind of you can debunk for us is there some kind of common myth in the food industry something that we could learn teaches something that we wouldn't really know
1: (laughs) if ever there's an article on the news or in the paper or anything like that to do with spuds. They always attach the word humble to them. I don't think spuds (laughs) are (laughs) humble. I think they're great. Uh, We've got uh, varieties like uh, British Queens or Dublin Queens, and there's King Edward, so (laughs) I'm not sure that they're (laughs) necessarily humble. They they are, I mean, a term that uh, some of the the food experts would use, they're nutrient-rich Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I, associate, I don't associate that with something that's humble. I understand where the, the terminology comes because way back in the day, in famine days, uh, the humble people of Ireland survived on spuds and uh, the produce from a cow. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where the terminology humble came from. But it was always said in the history books that the people of Ireland lived very healthily and were very strong on the basis of those two ingredients. Yeah. So I always think that that's really good, unfortunately blight came yes. as a disease that nobody understood then and wiped out the crops so and they lost half their diet yeah. uh, and hence uh, all the, the traumas of the famine of the, the mid-1800s. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think spots are that humble. that's my method that i like to crack.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is like a bit of a, a, an emphasis on, you know, eating um, fully fat products and eating a good balance of your diet instead of all these fat free products and different things. And, you know, going back to maybe where we were um, a few years ago and having, um, yeah, good fats and uh, some carbohydrates and, yeah. you know, having a good balance there is really important. Um, what would you say is your biggest failure in business, um, and what did you learn from that experience?
1: My biggest failure was investing in property uh, a few years ago, uh, two thousand and um, early two thousands, okay. and I didn't appreciate risk. Yeah. Uh, because for a period of maybe fifteen years before that, everything had been very rosy, and I. I the, the, the world food industry is a pretty uh, small return on your capital invested and, and we kind of understand that and that you're quite often in commodity and you expect that, but I was looking outside of that to actually balance the risk that, uh, that we had in the food industry and I thought property looked like a, a good investment. But I didn't understand the value or the, the, what risk could be in lots of different sectors and so I delved in and got my fingers burnt as a result of Come. not appreciating the risk. That's way back in 2007 when the yeah, crash Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, and everybody, I mean, the banks were very keen to lend money and I was quite happy to borrow it and just didn't quite grasp what could happen. Uh, and uh, I think we, learned, we all learned oh. a lot through that because mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of people got their fingers burnt uh, and business is all about risk. But it's managed risk. It's not going and I probably uh, I overdid it. Would uh, you
0: have seen yourself as risk adverse before that? Or more risk adverse now from that experience?
1: I'm, I'm more risk averse now. But you can't be totally risk averse if not you're in business, business or you wouldn't get out of bed. That's right. Uh, so you have to take risks. But you need to manage the risk. And you need to understand if this and this and this go wrong. Uh, what can the what's, what's the consequences of that? Mm-hmm. So that you take it. a a managed risk and you know if the a b and c all go wrong that you can still survive it yes Uh, Mm -hmm. and that's uh, a calculated risk calculated risk yes Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so that's probably the lesson that i learned and it was a hard lesson Mm -hmm. and there was some interesting uh, conversations along the way to get uh, that those problems resolved.
0: Yeah, it seems to be you know over this past number of decades that there's every fifteen years there's like a boom and a bust and you know could be coming up to that again where well, property prices are high, and uh, you know how high can they continue to grow before people can't afford them you know, yeah. um so you know have to keep an eye and look at the past and what's happened and yeah it's um it's difficult. Um, So tell me, Angus, what does your morning routine look like? What does your day entail as um, the owner of Wilson's Contract?
1: Well, uh, as the owner, uh, it's probably quite varied. Uh, The business, as I said to you, there's over 130 employees, and quite often I see that somebody that maybe starts a business isn't necessarily the right person to day-to-day run that as it grows because the, the, maybe the skills that are required to start it aren't necessarily the skills to put structure and put uh, the systems and all is required to have a business that's run well, is run fairly for the staff and, and has the structures there to make sure that quality is consistent and so on and I suppose a few years ago I saw that I maybe wasn't the right person as the continued, the business continued to grow to actually be the day-to-day owner of it. I really wanted to put a good team together that would run that well uh, and hence I stepped back from the day-to-day running uh, well, maybe 10 years ago okay. and uh, there's a guy Lewis Clowney who took on the lead uh, of running that and, and does that very well. Uh, and I support him mm-hmm. and I'm involved in, in some uh, work outside of the business I'm involved in a charity called Fields of Life that does work in East Africa which I have oh, loved mm-hmm. and it's been a great journey as well okay. so I do stuff outside of it uh, but and let him run it day to day but then we're both along with our senior team very much involved in the strategic development yes. of the business yeah. and maybe looking for if there's acquisition opportunities or there's uh, whatever we need to do for the next steps to grow the business mm-hmm. but because Lewis is doing that day to day running I have more time maybe to look at, at things that, that aren't just just absolutely the cold face.
0: And that's what it should be, you know, in your position, um, you know, your skills, um, set, the requirements need to change as the business grows and develops. And if you have, um, you know, over 130 staff, it's like, you know, the management of that in itself is very, you know, time consuming and you should be involved in the strategic development. Absolutely. What, um, do you see sort of as the next, um, steps for the business, any, um, growth areas of growth for your particular business?
1: Uh, There's lots of things, but I don't want to tell you (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. Broadly? Well, broadly, I I can talk, I suppose there's one area I can talk specifically about. Uh, We are looking, I mean, obviously, we mentioned earlier about the the change and the the headwinds that are coming into the economy, and one of them is the cost of energy. Mm. So one of the areas that we're looking at, and we're maybe just about to press the green button on, is to build uh, an anaerobic digester to use the waste that comes out of the plant or potato peelings and so on to produce energy to go back in uh, in terms of electricity to run it so the, uh, the potato peelings and, and or maybe grass and so on will uh, produce gas and use that gas burn that off to create electricity to Mm -hmm. run the factory so that's one of our big investments that we're looking very closely at at the moment we have a plan uh, but we just need to make sure we have the funding for it uh, so that that's one area and then just looking at other areas that continue to make potatoes convenient Mm -hmm. Mm and we are more and more time poor uh, and spots have so much to offer even in that. Time per area, but they are, uh, you know, if you take a bag of potatoes so home and you peel it and so on, it does take a wee while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at other ways to make that more convenient.
0: Yeah, and I suppose with a potato, if you're not using, you know, um, the shelf life on them can't be that long if they're like peeled and pre-cut and things like that. So, um, that's a challenge. I suppose. Uh, that, that is not.
1: a challenge. You you've probably have probably a day or nine day shelf life once you peel them, as mm. long as you keep them in a chilled environment Mm -hmm. uh, and to keep uh, oxygen away from them as much as possible. So yes that is, uh, but I mean uh, some people are very happy to peel spuds, others aren't, Mm -hmm. Uh, so (laughs) uh, it's something that we're fully aware of that we need to continue to develop and that's why our food service uh, and our convenience side of the business is growing Mm -hmm. uh, and it's growing significantly.
0: Yeah you have to adapt to yeah. the way people live absolutely. Do you have any productivity hacks for entrepreneurs or any advice and little things that you wish you had known back in the day that you would tell people to do now? I know you talked about you know listen to your customers and that kind of thing but is there any little productivity hacks and things that can make the business more productive? Um, well the
1: first thing that you need to do is invest in good people That's the key to any business. The business is the people. It's not the potatoes, it's not the machinery, it's not the building, it's the people. So having good people in a business is the secret to any business. And as a young maybe entrepreneur that's starting out, you look at your own skill set and what you're good at and what you're not good at and then you try to build a team around that. Uh, and for me I'm not quite sure what I'm good at but I know that uh, we have built a really good maybe what I'm good at is building a good team yeah. uh, and that's that's been absolutely key to the success of the business is that team yeah. and having really good people in every area because nobody can be if you're a generalist you're not a specialist and we need specialists in all the different areas so that's a key uh, then I suppose the next thing that I would do would be buying really modern, labour uh, efficient machinery yes. uh, so that stay modern and stay with the latest technology without going too far and, and not being a guinea pig for some yes. of the equipment manufacturers out there but getting uh, the, the latest machinery because uh, if you don't solve today's problem today, it'll be annoying you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So you need to continue to invest in your business mm-hmm. uh, to build it up. So good people and good machinery.
0: And uh, you see, when you mention, you know, the people in your business, do you find at the minute it's difficult to get the right kind of skills? I know that in lots of different industries here, there are skills um, gaps. and We can't get the right people for these jobs. Um, coming up through university, you know, or is that for purpose some of these courses Um, how do you find in your industry can you get the right people that you need
1: it's a continuous challenge yeah. to get the right people now we have some brilliant people in the business that have been with us for a long long time with a, a lawyer driver just retired the other day been with us 25 years and his wife has been basically as long with us so we have lots of people like mm-hmm. that that have been absolutely incredibly loyal and uh, that's that, that's what we want uh, but you're always wanting to bring new people and new talent in as mm-hmm. well and and sometimes bringing new people in that have learnt uh, a lot of skill in another business that those skills then become, can trans, transfer Fair. to yeah. ours uh, and that's excellent too because you're learning from other businesses and what well other people do so uh, our, our senior team would be quite a great mix of people that have been with us basically all their career and those that have come to us from another industry and i think that's a brilliant mix mix, so at every level of the business people coming from other areas is good but people is one of the biggest challenges to continue to keep people and there's so many opportunities out there and somebody can uh, drop a job today and pick one up tomorrow so you really have to do your best to look after your staff and make the business as welcoming as possible yeah. Uh, and as nurturing as possible which is a challenge every day too
0: yeah absolutely it's an employee's market at the minute yeah. there's so many um, opportunities for them um, if you could be remembered for one thing what would it be? for
1: <laughs> sake what a question I, uh, personally or in business whatever
0: you think
1: i can thinking hard about that one, so um, I, don't, okay. I don't want that good answer for it. I know. Uh, it's a, if I was to be remembered for one thing, uh, well, I suppose uh, in my life my faith very important to me, and I would like to s- people to see that I lived out my faith in what I did, uh, which is. Uh, Yeah, that would probably be my answer, that I was consistent. I'm sure there's lots of times I haven't been, but uh, that's what I try to do. You're
0: human, you have to try. just try, yeah, absolutely. No, that's a good answer, absolutely. And, um, you know, finally, I know I've kind of asked you this sort of question before, but if you could go back to your 18-year-old self, is there anything that you would change about the path that you chose or the way in which you did it, anything that you would do differently? Um, going back to when you were young, even before you started the business? Uh, well,
1: one thing, I wouldn't invest so much in property, no, that's, one. <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy one. Uh, My 18-year-old self, that is a long time ago. I mean, I, I, sometimes I look back on the journey and how it evolved and sort of those goats and then the, the neighbour on the spots and so on and I, I can't believe how the journey has unfolded, and I'm not sure that if I started out again, uh, it wouldn't unfold in the same way. I just sometimes was in the right place at the right time, sometimes the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, I would, my 18 year old self, I would certainly tell that person to uh, live life to the full, to travel plenty uh to work hard and to work smart Mm -hmm. and to look after people along the way
0: good and do you manage can you manage your own stress well or would you give is there any advice you could give to people running their own business who find it hard to deal with stress
1: well i I remember my dad who was a farmer once saying that he could sleep in his bed at night even the hay was flowing down the river (laughs) uh, which is a very old farmer type expression I guess I'm reasonably fortunate, I'm reasonably laid back and I, I, I don't stress too much, but I do stress no matter how you go when there's, when there's worries and problems, you do stress. Uh, but uh, I suppose exercising well mm-hmm. is a great way of de-stressing and probably trying to get your worries in context, because sometimes we we'll get our worries out of context and we we'll make them bigger in our head than they really are. And probably the other thing that I would say always have two or three really good friends around you. Yeah. People that you can talk to, They're you good. can trust, and will give you the context when you can't see it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, that's a lovely note to finish things up on. Thank you so much for joining right. us today. Yes, fantastic. shorter than Paul Trayton, anyway. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that was short. Um, it was about half an hour, though, was it? What